Get real. Well, yes, that's the theme of our new series of talks here on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching broadcast with Brian Johnston. Over the next few weeks, Brian wants to bring greater authenticity to our Christian lives. And as the weeks progress, we'll be considering our Bible study, prayer life, home life, worship and church life, as well as other aspects of what it means to be a true disciple. So let's get real now with Brian and hear how to get the most out of studying the miraculous Word of God, the Bible. Thanks, John. I suppose it's fair to start by asking, what's the basic source of information available to us as followers of Christ? Well, that would have to be the Bible, of course. Ah, but how do we go about accessing the Bible's true meaning for our lives? That's the kind of help I could have used very early in my life as a young Christian. I wish someone had encouraged me to read the Bible as you would read any other book, and not as some kind of mysterious text that you somehow have to decode using a very specialised skill set. What added to my struggles was the fact that I listened to preachers who attempted to explain the Bible by saying things like, this represents that, and so on. The basis for this sort of decoding was based on what seemed to be random word associations, and sometimes where I confess I took to be some rather fanciful notions. A classic historical example of this type of thing comes from a story Jesus told known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. This, as you doubtless know, concerned a man who'd been mugged on a journey. None of his countrymen came to his assistance, but a foreigner did, even using his donkey to transport the man to an inn. Now, in later religious history, Augustine suggested the foreigner symbolised Jesus and the donkey represented the Holy Spirit as they came to the assistance of the human race. This is an arbitrary spiritual meaning that displaces the actual plain meaning of the words themselves. It treats the plain story as some kind of coded message, one that you need to be spiritually tuned in to decode. Be assured, Augustine's meaning was certainly not the meaning the Lord intended to convey to his audience. Let me clarify what I've just said, the part about reading the Bible as you would read any other book. Do I mean to say that the Bible isn't special? Of course not. I believe it to be a -a one-of-a-kind book. It's unique among all books. I hold it to be God's communication to us. For sure, God accommodated himself to human language and employed human authors. But what I mean is this, since he used humans and he used our language, we shouldn't expect the Bible's words to carry something other than their normal plain meanings. At least, not unless the Bible itself makes it clear that this is to be expected due to the type of literature being employed. An example would be when there's a clear switch from the standard narrative form to, say, a poetic form. No one should be confused, I hope, if I say the book of Chronicles and the book of Psalms are two different kinds of literature and we'll naturally find ourselves reading them differently. Certainly, when we're reading the story parts of the Bible, or the letters it contains, we should look for the plain meanings carried by the words in their normal everyday usage. And of course, they follow the ordinary rules of grammar that we ourselves follow in everyday communications, usually without even having to think about it. Another early source of confusion for me came about because I attended Bible studies which consisted of debates about the Bible text where various contributors offered different reconstructions of the particular Bible section in question. Contributors would argue that the dictionary gave one meaning for a particular word of interest 
whereas another contributor disagreed by pointing out that the same word could have another legitimate meaning. That's when I first learnt the power of context. A particular word can indeed have a variety of meanings, but its use in a specific setting will normally determine the choice of meaning. Endless debates could have been short-circuited by simply paying more attention to the context than to the dictionary. It can become even more misleading when it's suggested to us how Bible word meanings in the original language developed over time from more ancient root or primitive forms. While this can occasionally be enlightening, it can more often be spurious. Many modern English words have come to us from the old Latin language used by the Romans. It's easy to check that it doesn't always follow that the sense of any English word as it's understood today should be influenced by a trace back to its old Latin root word. So what are we saying? Simply this. We should read our Bible as we would read any book. The important thing is to be observant. To emphasise the method of understanding a verse by thinking carefully about the verses that come before and after it, we can develop the habit of reading in complete paragraphs or more, and repeatedly reading that larger block of text over and over again until we catch the train of thought. Memorising verses in isolation can all too easily mislead us when it comes to applying them in our experience. A classic example must surely be Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, from where we hear it quoted, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Sounds totally reassuring, doesn't it? But this conveniently forgets the historical context of how those words were originally spoken to a disobedient people who were about to be carried away into captivity and judged long before their descendants would in time, by virtue of this promise, return to resume their normal service. Perhaps we need to be memorising entire paragraphs rather than limited verses, or at least we need to make ourselves aware of the context of the verse that we can all too glibly quote. What we're saying is this, it's an excellent habit when reading the Bible to ask basic questions of the text. To whom was this written? And in what specific circumstances? How does their reaction at the time show what they understood the message to be back then? That last point leads to what some refer to as the golden rule to working out what a Bible verse means for us today. It's simply this. We shouldn't expect a Bible verse to have a meaning for us that denies whatever it meant to those to whom it was first spoken. To abbreviate that, a verse cannot mean what it never meant, not unless the Bible itself later gives us a fuller expansion. Let's repeat, meaning is determined by its context, and words are defined by their contemporary use at the time of writing. Rather than relying on historical searches after older meanings of basic forms of the same word, it's far more likely to be profitable to do a study of how the word in question was being used by the same Bible author elsewhere in the Bible, or throughout the Old Testament or the entire New Testament, or even in literature of that same time, but outside of the Bible. Mostly, the Holy Spirit used words in the way they were generally used at that time. Although it's important to recognise that some important words describe Bible ideas that require us to familiarise ourselves with how the same idea was introduced earlier in the Old Testament part of the Bible.
The safe approach is to compare all other texts related to the one that we're reading. For example, the Lord did say on one occasion, whatever you ask in my name, he will give to you. However, when we relate this to other teachings about prayer, we find there are indeed conditions that are meant to be understood and they are taken as read in that particular instance and involved implicitly in what it truly means to ask in prayer in our Lord's name. Another key idea to keep in mind when reading the Bible is to relate the topic we're considering to the mainline truths of the Bible. Sometimes we'll come across a difficult verse. Perhaps it appears at first sight to contradict other plain teaching verses. What do we do? Rather than give up in despair, we need to make the decision to always understand obscure verses in the light of verses whose meaning is clear. For example, a verse in the letter to the Hebrews has caused a lot of distress. It mentions the possibility of falling away. But before we jump to the wrong conclusion that our forgiveness can be revoked by a God who will fail to deliver what he promised, we must realise there are two complementary mainline truths presented side by side in the Bible, namely salvation from future judgement and our service for the Lord in the here and now. God's sovereign grace guarantees our salvation, but we can fail to live up to our obligated responsibilities in serving the Lord and as a result lose some of the associated privileges in this life. How then can we be sure we found the correct meaning of any disputed text? The answer to that expands on the idea of context that we were talking about earlier. I remember a Christmas time when my daughter was small. One of her presents was a jigsaw puzzle. In other words, a puzzle comprised of many pieces of a picture, all of them cut into different shapes. When correctly assembled, they together formed a coherent picture. In this case, it was the picture of a black Labrador dog. The problem was, I had thrown away the packaging which contained the only reference picture of the dog, which picture we needed to follow as our guide. This made the puzzle more challenging than it should have been. Verses of the Bible can be compared to those puzzle pieces. When, through cover-to-cover -cover reading of the Bible, we can build up a sense of where the bigger picture is headed, then we have that as our guiding picture for how we get the unique meaning of the individual verses, including those difficult or obscure ones. Finally, remember that it's useful to read the place we are studying from in different translations of the Bible. Occasionally, this will enable us to see that sometimes there are slight differences between the original language sources available to us today and from which all modern language versions are translated. These differences, although many, are very slight, often simply different spellings of names, and we can readily verify that no particular teaching is made in any way ambiguous by them. Just being aware of this, however, can help us to understand some slight variations in the readings. The other useful thing about using more than one version is to appreciate that some translations try to get as near as possible to a word-for-word -word translation between the languages involved, while others translate at the level of conveying the thought behind the words. While this involves more interpretation on the part of the translators, we need to remember that any translated version will involve some element of interpretation. On these points, the notes in the margin of a study Bible will give us helpful clarification. 
what we can be truly thankful to God for is the fact that we have, as a result of some detailed detective work by Bible experts, a reliably authentic representation of God's Word available to us today. It has provably the best claim in all of ancient literature to being the most accurate in its present form. Careful use of translations, commentaries and dictionaries, remembering the earlier points, ensures that we can understand God's message for us. Most important of all is to realise the Holy Spirit is our personal guide to help us to understand the Bible and we can access his help by prayer, about which we hope to have something to say next time. Thanks for your study today, Brian. Now, I hope you found Brian's talk helpful. And if there's a comment or question you have after listening today, do get in touch. Brian will be only too pleased to help. And I'll be giving you the contact details shortly. The talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. Simply ask for Get Real. You can do this by email or by post. And here's our address. Search for Truth. Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into ebooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and there you'll find them. So thanks for the pleasure of your company today. It's been great to have you with us. And why not join us next week for the second talk in this series? In the meantime, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our studio technician, David, our singers, and me, John. So bye for now, and may God richly bless you.